My name is Thomas Malchow. I've been in the fitness industry for over 20 years. I've worked with hundreds of Olympic and professional athletes. I can help you become better at golf. What's up, guys? Thomas Malchow here from Train Fully. Welcome to the Train Fully podcast, where we dive deep into golf performance. Each episode, we meet with professionals, experts, and amateurs from all over the world to help you gain an edge in your game. To learn more about Train Fully and our innovative at-home program, go to trainfully.com. Use promo code GOLF10 for a 10% discount. In this episode, we meet with Patrick Koenig. Patrick is a golf photographer and writer. He's appeared on the pages of Golf Digest, and his work has been featured by golf courses all over the United States. In 2018, Patrick did what every golfer dreams of. He sold his condo, bought an RV, and set forth on the ultimate golf trip, a one-year golfing bender that included 403 courses in 47 states. His main goal was to raise money for the first tee of Greater Seattle, and he did that, in fact, over $20,000. But he also met a lot of friends along the way, including playing the old course with Bill Murray. Patrick is one of the coolest people I've met. If you're currently pursuing a dream, listening to Patrick's perspective on life can help you achieve it. All right, so joining us today, Patrick Koenig. Patrick, welcome to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. Well, you did what every guy dreams of. You quit your job, gave up your Seattle apartment, bought an RV, and went on a year-long golf trip called the RGV Tour. And we'll talk about the trip here in a moment. But my first question is, what was motivating you to do that? I love golf. I mean, that's what it was. I mean, there's a number of things that motivated me to do it. Um, And it all kind of starts out with me going on these golf trips like a, a normal guy with a sales job and having some disposable or dispensable income that I could spend on nice destinations. And then you realize, you know, you talk to some locals that play there, you're like, oh, I got to go play this course. And you're like, oh, there's this course there. And then, so I don't know, it was 20 years ago that I got the idea that, hey, if you've got an RV, you could do all these. And but then you start thinking the logistics of it, you're like, well, RVs are expensive and well, I have a job. You know, uh, yeah, how does that work with like a place to live? Can you afford both of them? Um, so it kind of worked through all those. And then eventually just just said, I, I'd gone too far down like the planning path. And I'm like, this is, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And then it was a, it was a game changer, a life changing year for me. Well, that's what I was going to get into here is because golf more than any other sport demands that we know ourselves, what motivates us, what inspires us, and what we're afraid of. Over that year, you spent a lot of time alone. Yes. Question is two part. First part is, what did you learn about yourself during that time? And the second part is, do you apply that experience to your life and to your golf game now? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, I mean, yeah, I think there's a lot of things that I learned about myself. Um, and, and I think the, the most positive thing that I, I realized was that um, I can handle adversity pretty well. I can roll with the punches and kind of whatever gets thrown at me. Uh, I can I can dig into my resources and it usually ends up OK. You know, it's not <laughs> you know, it's not doom and gloom so over the course of the year there was a hundred different left and right things that, that came at me. I always found a way 
to do it. And either that is just relying on some of my resources that I have personally, a lot of times it was, you know, helps help from others. Um, a lot of great stories about how people came to, to my rescue and um, just, you know, it's amazing if you ask people and I, and they were thought I was doing a cool thing. So they want to be part of it. So the amount of people that were willing to help was like, is unbelievable. Um, so I think that was a, it was a cool thing. And it's kind of changed the way, a little bit the way that I, I live, you know, knowing that um, a lot of the stuff, it's not, it's really not that big of a deal to kind of bounce off of you. And um, if you put your mind to it, you can, you kind of figure this out. So it really changed the way that I respond to adversity. And I think it, for a good thing too. Um, I don't get, you certainly can't get angry. Um, I learned that early on in golf. That was a lesson that golf taught me earlier in life. Uh, but that was just reinforced on this, uh, on this tour. And so uh, I learned a lot about resourcefulness and, uh, you know, not letting the, the small stuff bother you. And it's all, it's all small stuff, really. Did you ever think, man, what am I doing? Yeah, man, many times. I think from like, there was, you know, pointing in the middle of the, uh, of the tour. And then like, like right at the beginning, I was kind of like, what? I'm just playing golf every day, <laughs> you know, when I jumped off and I'm just like cruising. And it's like, I had like the first two weeks, like kind of scheduled, like, you know, courses and stuff. And then I was like, after that, it, I was like, I had a loose sort of schedule and I had dates kind of that I was trying to meet. Uh, but I'm like, man, this is, this is what I'm doing every day. And so um, I got rolling with it and I got really excited when, once I started seeing new golf courses, that was what really, really thrilled me. Um, and then as you get into it, it got really crazy. I got much better. I really kind of hit my stride on the East coast where I was playing 36 a day. I mean, it's not just like I was, you know, golfing and then hanging out. I mean, I did 405 different golf courses on that tour. And so I did a podcast. I, I do a lot of course photography. So, um, between just editing the photos, creating stuff for Instagram and Twitter and social media, blogging about it and then doing a podcast then playing 36 holes a day and then planning the next, uh, next route. And then actually, you know, playing the golf and then driving there, there's not many hours left in the day. So it went fast because I was so busy. Uh, I guess all that stuff is like technically can be considered work. I didn't really consider it that cause it was like, you know, figuring out a way to play Oakmont and then you get out and you play Oakmont. It's amazing. So, um, it was kind of, uh, it, did, it does wear on you. It's like, Oh, you know, I was kind of planning a, a dream life every day. Um, so it wasn't really that bad, but you can get a little tired of <laughs> some of the stuff, but it's nothing to complain about. Well, and you just mentioned that you didn't just play these courses. Uh, you photograph them as well. And that's really what you're famous for is your photography. And I, man, I love your photographs. In fact, your photographs inspire me to try to play better golf. When you're photographing or filming a golf course, what inspires you? Well, I think that what you just said is, is one of my favorite things. It's a great compliment. And I love to hear people say it um, is because that's what really kind of inspires me is to, to create a photograph that people will be drawn to that will they'll something in them will, like, Oh, I got to go play. And they run and grab their clubs or like, Oh, I got to go see that course. Like, Oh man, that's unbelievable. And that's what, what I'm doing. I'm sharing a lot of these places that you know, most people can't get to. Um, and, and it's fun to try to get to them all. Um, and, and then share them with other people. And then some people can actually play based on my experience and they'll go places that they might have not 
of thought of. And that is what inspires me is to get that, that shot. And it's not easy to get. You can't just walk out to Oak Hill and stand in the first fairway and take that photo. It's a, you know, it's a cool photo to get, but like, you know, you've got to be there for the right moments. You got to know when the light is right. Um, and it could happen, it usually happens in the morning or the, the afternoon as the sun comes up and down. But there's some moments during the middle of the day, depending on the weather. And um, so you got to be ready. You got to be there at the camera. Um, and that's what's exciting about photography um, is because it is you kind of have there's this excitement time when the moment is there and you know you've got to capture it because it could be gone in 10 seconds. Is that <laughs> stressful knowing that, man, I, I have an opportunity here to catch something really uh, that could inspire a lot of people. Do you feel that pressure? You know, it's exciting. There's a little bit of pressure, I think, with anything. Um, it's not it's not like, oh, no. You know, um, it, it, it ups the game a little bit and it makes photography exciting for me. So um, you do feel that pressure, but that's what that's what gets you going. I mean, I think any other golf course photographer and uh, knows the feeling of like, all right, the magic hour is here um, and the mo and the shots are there. You can't get them all. You can't get them all because it's a big golf course, but you've got to know your shots, the ones that you really want, get those. And that's why when I do a, a shoot for a golf course, um it's three or four days right so i can get you know say it's three days you get a sunrise and a sunset if you're lucky um each day so that gives you six opportunities to plan your attack get those shots and every day is different i mean for you know i've been to abandoned dunes i don't know 20 times and every time that i go it's a different like wildly different set of images based on the weather there uh, weather there is a little more a little more wild uh, but when it does something really cool it changes and you can be in the same spot and take the same plan you're like well that's a totally different feeling and it is um, so that's what's great about landscape photography and just photography in, in general is that um, it never gets old it's never like you're doing the same thing again and as I get better you can learn some new tricks and you're like oh, I'll try this and you know it's a little different take do you have a plan when you're going in or do you kind of have to you know, think on your feet? Well, it depends, you know, so if I'm just going and playing around a round of golf and taking photos as I go, that's it. There's no, there's no real plan there. Um, but if somebody's commissioned me to do a job, um, I do have a plan. You know, my first day is usually scouting and then, you know, cause you don't know which spots you're going to be attracted to or catch your eye. So there's a bit of scouting that goes into it. And then you kind of know, oh, this shot, this shot, I was like, bet you this would look great at like, you know, the mountain there, you could probably get this hole and then it goes down here, but it still hits the third green. You can scoot over to the third green. I mean, so you can really plan it out um, and to get to maximize your, your time, but you've got you've to know the property and know the shots and know the way the light hits in the morning and the afternoon. And it's not an easy thing to, to fully scout and know a course from front to back. So that's why going back to places, you'll find a new angle, something more, inter something interesting that missed your eye the first time. So I, so I also tell golf courses, like, don't just book me. It's like, I've got two eyes. You know, a lot of other photographers will have a different take on it and they'll give you cool image. Not necessarily better, um, maybe better, uh, maybe worse, but definitely, definitely different. And that what I take may not speak to somebody like what another photographer will take. And so that's the beauty of it. You know, it's that it's, it's all in your eye. Um, and I think that the best photographers have that eye that, they know what other people identify with and they know how to find it. And that's, 
that's something kind of innate that um, is hard to teach. Do you think that your eye for the uh, photograph helps with your golf game? Like the way you see a golf course or a hole helps your performance? I think it's probably the other way around. I, I think it's um, the, the, the fact that I know the golf course. What's interesting about a golf course is what makes me a better photographer. Because it's funny, you'll, you'll go see and <laughs> courses will book great photographers that don't play golf. And it's like, it's a, it's kind of a, <laughs> like, what? Um, they get a little different set of things, um, which couldn't be interesting too, because they have no frame of reference. So they take whatever inspires them. Um, but as a golfer, I think most people can, you need it. And everybody that I know that's a really great course photographer is also a really good golfer. And there's not one in the bunch um, that I'm thinking of. They're all single digits and have an extensive knowledge of the game. So it helps kind of to know what's unique like, why is this cool? Um, is, is this something that you could just find anywhere? Or is this is specific for this golf course? And, and good golfers, I think, kind of know that. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think my photography helps my game so much. <laughs> well, I know Brian's chomping at the bit here to, to talk about the golf courses. So, Brian, go ahead, take it away. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and you just talked a little bit about it. But so are you big into the course architecture? side of things whenever it comes to this as well yeah i get excited i get excited about different architects having playing so many golf courses i would be i mean i you know you gain knowledge as you go but it would be a total shame for me to experience all these places and not appreciate the effort and thought that went into the, all the little humps and bumps and the placement of hazards and the strategy around these holes and so you can always learn more and become more educated on the subject but i feel like i'm I'm, I'm, you know, up there, I can have a conversation with a golf course architect that has designed a golf course and ask thought provoking questions. And we think along the same lines. So I feel like I'm at that point where like, if I were to sit down with Tom Doak, um, we could have a conversation and I don't know if, you know, how much respect I'd earn from Tom, but he at least know I was in the, in the ball game. Um, you know, I can tell you whatever Dan is and, um, you know, what, what's Tom's doing, what his thoughts on this one. I would I'd have some, you know, thought provoking questions hopefully for him um but i love it i love architecture it's a whole different aspect to the to the game so it's like when i was younger it was all about how i played like what my score was and that's such a it's such a waste because you're like there's so many things to appreciate about a round of golf and the score unfortunately like becomes became like this only thing that mattered and once i realized it's like doesn't even need to be like your top five <laughs> you can you can really enjoy golf as it was it was meant to be and then scores always i mean any golfer is always going to care about their score i don't think you have to like focus on trying to make that a priority at least i don't um and so it's always kind of it's good to appreciate the many different reasons architecture being right at the top for me well and, and the reason i ask that is because one of the big things is i've always followed you on instagram for quite a while and was looking at all these beautiful pictures and everything and the thing about it is, is at least from perspective of someone who loves to look at architecture, but I haven't had the opportunity to go on the West coast, which is, mm. there's some cool architecture out there. Yeah. Um, it, it, your, your, your pictures really kind of show off some of those features that yeah. you get from like a Doke or a Crenshaw or something like that. Yeah. I think that's, what's cool about it too, is if you understand architecture that helps your photography as well, you know, why, you know, what is it about, 
um, is this, you know, how do you capture the magic of a beer at right to that, that squale in the center? Like that's a tricky one to do because they're usually pretty flat. So usually I find it's with a little bit of elevation um, to show that off is something cool. And that most people don't know, like you could say, I don't know what percentage of golfers would know what a beer screen is. Um, probably, I guess less than 20% would have a clue um, for sure. And uh, so it's fun when you get a you get to see those things and then you can share them with other people because a lot of those greens are in private clubs that a small percentage of the population gets to gets to experience. And so it's I, I love it. And the fact that you notice that and like you can appreciate some of the architecture from you know the the small undulations in the on the old course in St Andrews where it all started. Um, to the genius of that, uh, you can study it for years and. Um, there's if photography does a good if you're doing it right you can show that off to other people and and give them a, a sense of what it's like there you can never really capture the magic of being there but that's the pursuit right is to, to and it's an kind of a, an impossible goal which makes it fun because you're never going to like win the world series of photography maybe you could i don't know cover a sports illustrator or something like that would be pretty nice <laughs> but you know you're also is a is a golf course photographer you're always chasing that that moment and there's very few photographs that I'm like fully satisfied with. Are there any photos that you've taken of certain golf courses that really just kind of stick out as kind of your top five? Yeah, there's one that I have on my, my phone right now. And uh, uh, it's, of, it's a good story too, because I was out playing Coos Bay in Bandon, Oregon. It's the beginning of the quarantine. And so I, decided to quarantine at Bandon Dunes because they opened up. It's like, oh, it's perfect. They'll have me out. I was quarantined at Bandon and play golf every day. I took a break from Bandon to play Coos Bay, which I suggest most people do because it's a fantastic little local course. And the, and the folks that own it and run it there are unbelievably awesome. They get it. It's, it's just a great golf space as the folks at Bandon Dunes get it. But so I was like, oh, maybe I'll come back and the sky is starting to do these, these things with these clouds. And I'm like, oh, maybe this, I don't know if the sun's going to come out or not. But I'm, so I'm like, I jump in the car and I, I run back and I'm like, I see the spot in the clouds where I think the light's going to come through. This is what I'm talking about where I get like, this was very exciting for me. And so like, I'm like, oh man, it's going to come out. It's going to come out. And like, it's, it kind of comes out a little bit. And I realize it's going to be really good while I'm driving. I'm like, no, no, I'm missing it. I'm missing it. And so then I get into Bandon, those familiar with Bandon, there's the uh, the main uh, main course right there. The parking lot kind of goes up by the first hole, and I jump in there and I run out and I, I get a couple of really good stills of the first hole as the light is hitting. It goes out and then and it goes away again, and then I'm like, then I put the drone in the air and I'm thinking I'm going to get like three minutes of just amazing light with these kind of cool swirly clouds in the background. And, uh, and it was going to be real low too, which is, I'm like, this is the perfect, the perfect moment. And for about three minutes, I had a chance to get, uh, just to capture the scene, the number, number five and number, uh, and what is the, the other part of three is like 10, I think 10 on the water there, we're just like, like showing off unbelievably. Um, and then 16, right. All those lungs were on the coast, 16 on Bandon. So I'm just flying the drone, getting these just killer, amazing shots. I had about five minutes to do it. And I got like maybe three or four images that I just love. Perhaps my favorite one was the one of the number five on Pacific Dunes looking from behind it. Um, and you can see the ocean and the light coming through and these cool clouds in the background. Um, 
And it was just very exciting. You know, you guys like, I got it. And the sun goes down and you're like, yes, <laughs> just, just thrilled. So, I mean, that's a, that's a quick story for me and like how it can be so exciting to come back and just get that right, that right moment. I'd never seen something quite that awesome at Band Dunes. And I'm sure it happens, but you know, you're only there for a couple of days. And you know, that was my favorite, favorite sunset I'd ever seen there. Absolutely. Well, and then, so you've got the opportunity to play a lot of amazing golf courses on that list. A lot that uh, a lot of people won't ever be able to see. Um, but outside of the ones that, you know, Bandon and Cabot, and then you get into like Chicago country club or any of the clubs yeah. that a lot of people might know the name, what are some of them that people don't know name wise, name recognition wise, but you yeah. were very really surprised by. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I pay attention to the lists are pretty good. The lists are pretty good. So anything in like that top 100 in America, like you're not going to walk off being like, Oh, whatever. <laughs> You'll be blown away. You'd be like, wow, that was an amazing golf experience. Everything on there is top 100, top 200. You could say that for the top 200, the second greatest hundred that golf digest it does as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of those belong in the top 100. You can argue up and down that. Um, and it's gotten, it's gotten better. So like uh, some of the clubs that, like Sleepy Hollow, for example, was not really widely regarded. Gilhans did some great work there, and now it's moved up. I think it's the top 100, depending on what list you look at. Uh, but another one that I'm surprised is not, is not on that list is um, is Davenport Country Club in Davenport, Iowa. Uh, the only course I played in Iowa, and it's unbelievable. I was just kind of Omaha Country Club is kind of in that same vein. These are these are uh, Golden Age designs, so they have this sort of just charm to it and i think davenport got some love it's got i try to give it a couple some love i, I always mention on these podcasts and i know uh andy over at the fried egg uh, he's close and he agrees he's seen it and you know it's one of those things you're like what is why why are people not freaked out by this course um the undulation is 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 pretty good and it's well used uh, you can tell it's just this really cool piece of land and 16 out there is like this i mean it was i think it was on like the greatest back in the day um like the 50s or 60s it made sports illustrated's 18 greatest holes in america thing that was everybody likes to claim um so davenport's definitely on there another one that is kind of like and some of it's because of the club so like this the one i'm thinking of is a place called dorset field club in vermont which most that's a that's a real sleepy one um and that one's because, you know, they just kind of liked it to be a close-knit community. They didn't let in Golf Digest panelists. So they didn't let in, uh, you know, a lot of people. And nobody would travel to go play there because it, it was just useful, mostly the um, the local golfers that are playing this just gem of a, of a golf club. Uh, and Dorset Field Club really impressed me uh, with its – there's kind of there's two different portions to it but i really love that place um you know so it's like that and there's probably a dozen or so others that i mean if you could throw a rock and hit one in new york or up in long island that deserves some some love and those are the ones that i was mentioning because those on my tour my visit were really stuck out to me and if i were to do it again you know it could be two completely different courses because it's so Golf course, you know, rating and experience is, is subjective. You know, it's not, um, it could be, you know, a great, great day, great people, maybe you played great. You have to try to separate those things, but like, can you really, can you really do that? And I think the answer is you can try. Um, and so I think I've done a, I, 
I, that's a goal of mine. So I feel like anybody that plays either, you know, Dorset, uh, Omaha Country Club or Davenport is not either going to be like, Koenig was right. I think that's what they'll say because those are good golf courses that don't get enough love. Now, when you were on your trip, my understanding is your, was it you were planning on, so you sold your place, you were planning on staying with your parents when the trip was over, but did their place burn down when you were? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of like I, so I, I parked my mini Cooper had a little mini Cooper there and just, I put it in storage <laughs> and uh, on the side of their house, they had this beautiful place, peach trees and a couple acres and uh, there's the retirement home in, in paradise, California. And I, you know, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do after this because like, I may go back into sales or like, maybe I'll find something, you know, this could take off or like, let's, let's not plan that far in advance. So I was like, we'll just come back to paradise and figure it out. Or maybe I'll, maybe somebody will want to give me a job when I'm in, when I'm halfway through and I'll know exactly what I'm doing. Um, but it came to the end where I was like, I'm going to come back. Um, and it was around, when did that, when was the campfire? Um, December, I think it was in December. Um, but I mean, I got this text from my, my mom that's just said, there's fire everywhere, but we're okay. Which was kind of a weird text to get. There's fire everywhere. And so I was like, what the hell? And so I, you know, I called her and they had, they had left paradise. And then a couple hours later, not even an hour later, um, the most destructive and deadly fire in the history of California ripped through there and burned the entire city to paradise to the ground. They had um, they had calls from friends that thought they weren't going to make it. Um, really terrifying stuff. I mean, people down in the cove, smoke all around them, total darkness, windshield wipers like catching on fire, people running, running for their lives. I mean, it's not. It was not good. Um, and it was uh, it was caused by negligence on behalf of PG&E, which I you know they pled guilty to eighty five counts of manslaughter, um, which is I mean, that's a company doing that. Um, and now there is, my parents had good insurance. Um, they had to, even the good insurance really tries to take advantage of a situation like that, which is sad to see uh, because they can, because people need money and they can pay them less just so they can get what they can and move on with their lives. And here we are, um, you know, this was 2018, it's 2021 now. There's a, uh, I think they finally went through the trust. pg and I think paid out, gosh, it's billions of dollars um, into a trust. And then people that don't have, they have unresolved claims or didn't have insurance. Obviously PG is, is in, and he is at fault for lighting that fire and burning everybody's house down. Um, so they're gonna pay and they're gonna start issuing payments here. Hopefully this year we'll get things and, and hopefully I'll get some sort of um, recuperance, if that's a word, from, uh, for, uh, from my Mini Cooper that burned down. Cause I took the insurance off of it. I was like, I don't need it on that. And put the insurance on the RV, which I never needed, which is a, a wild thing to think of me driving an RV, 26 foot RV around for the first time and having no major, no major scrapes or hiccups or, or damage to the vehicle. It was a, it was a smooth 30,000 miles. Um, but my parents had the good insurance and they were able to relocate and they're living very happily outside of Sacramento now. So it was a, it was a tough time for everybody, but you know, that's just kind of one of the things that came up in the middle of the tour. And so you're just like, uh, my parents are homeless. I'm essentially homeless. <laughs> um, uh, but we all have homes now. So, I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, you can, 
I'm writing a book on the whole thing and there's a, there's a chapter on that one, which is uh, kind of makes you realize what's important and then what's not important. There's a lot of lessons you can learn from having everything you own disappear. You know, every physical thing you own is gone. That, that your story is just so it's, it's awesome. And it's unbelievable, even though it is true. If this were a movie, oh, this didn't, there's no way this happened, but it, yeah. happened. it happened. What are you doing now? Um, so I'm doing a golf course photography. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I do a lot of promotion for destinations. So I love it when I, I get the call to say, Hey, we've got a new course opening, but we've got an event. We'd love to come and have you shoot. Um, whether it's the golf course or I can do, do events and some player photography. I got some great experiences. One of my favorite ones was at the Dunhill links, uh, championship, which is like the AT&T pro-am uh of uh of scotland and they do it on the uh the old course it's um king's barns and then carnoustie and so they rotate the three much like um at t does with uh pebble spyglass and npcc and uh but it's scaled down a little bit like they don't freak out about celebrities in scotland like like americans do like i mean they're still excited to see justin timberlake and everybody is you know but it's not like this sort of like crazy thing and the, you can tell that like this hanging with the celebrity guys, they they like it a lot more for that reason. Cause it's like, they're people too. They just want to like hang out and like play some golf and have, have fun, enjoy themselves without that. You know, you hang around with the guys that like that. You can really see like Justin Timberlake, you see that he appreciated the fact that he wasn't getting hounded. He was just could be himself. And you see why those guys love, you know, privacy is such a big thing. Um, it's so important for them when you have all the money in the world what do you want? You want, you want privacy back. And so there was a little bit of that for him. And I got the chance to, to photograph that event. Um, and I even got a chance to golf with Bill Murray, um, on, on that particular one. What was it like golfing with Bill Murray? He's boring. He's a, he's a real stick in the mud. And uh, I was just, and I couldn't wait to be done. No, it was just as awesome as you think. I mean, you're kind of like, I mean, everybody, that's the question, right? Who's in your dream foursome? And Bill Murray was in my dream foursome. He was like the guy in the foursome. And so I'm like, well, I didn't think I would ever get one of these guys. Because one of them I thought was, I put Jesus in there, I think. <laughs> that's, that'd be a stretch. But Bill Murray happened. And uh, now it's just, Bill is such a unique guy. And just from like, you get that even if you see him on the screen or just get a tidbit of him when he's doing his stuff. And so to spend five hours with him walking and hitting a ball, you get, you get a lot more. You understand kind of like what, what, you know, what drives him and, and what he's like as a person. Like I had a couple conversations where, where he wasn't funny. Like he was just being a normal human being and talking about his, his craft of, um, of acting or whether it's, he was in an RV and drove across with the, you know, a portion of the country with his family um, as well. And so we kind of shared things like that, which was really cool. But when you say something to Bill Murray, like he goes to humor like right away. And it's usually pretty funny. Um, I remember we were kind of going the first third hole or something we played. And he gets his putt. It's just, it's like, it's like a five footer and he missed it by like two feet, right? It was awful. And, and uh, he just kind of looks up at me and everything's funnier when Bill says it. The line is great, but he just looks up at me. He's like, he's like, thank God I'm not flying a plane, you know? And it was just, I mean... He's a funny man and he loves to share that with people. And any bad story I think that anybody has of like an encounter with Bill Murray is 
is probably just like, cause he's gotta be on 24 seven, you know? Like, how do you not, if like you and I were on 24 seven, there'd be a lot of bad stories about me, I guess, you know? Uh, but Bill manages to keep it all together. And for those five hours, he was, you know, he goes over and, and some other people recognize him as their, and he says hi to him and talks to him and does his, does his thing. And I think that's kind of part of what he loves to do. It's what drives him. And uh, I got, you know, five or six stories from that day um, that will stick with me forever, you know, really cool, really cool experience. And so, I mean, and then I, then I share that story with, with people and promote the Dunhill link. So it's a great place for a um, great way for the Dunhill links to get some exposure um, around that, some coverage of it. Um, companies are always looking for different ways to showcase their events or their tournaments and uh, social media is a great way to do that. And through photography, um, I've been able to get some really cool jobs, either just shooting a golf course or covering an event recovering our destination so that's what i'm doing now that's what i'm doing these days and writing a book and uh also i'm doing some uh some stuff for about golf a, a simulator company so we're working on their social media um creating some excitement around the best simulator in the game i mean if you can't go out to uh uh davenport country club you can you can fire it up in your in your simulator maybe you want to go to kiowa island um, so it's kind of a solution for those people that, that want to, to play golf, but don't necessarily want to get on a plane. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the uh, Ryder Cup Sim Series. Oh, yeah. So this is a cool thing. This is a really cool thing. Um, and anybody can play. I mean, it's open to anybody that um, wants to go to a, a, a location. And you just have to download the About Golf app and you can purchase some credits in there. And then you go and play a, your qualifying rounds. And there's a series of, of competitions at courses, um, wherever you want there. Um, and then that boils down into eventually we're going to have our finale is going to be in Kohler this year at the, the Ryder Cup. And we're going to have a head-to-head -head match. We're flying the, the, the winning teams out there to compete versus each other on site there at the Ryder Cup. And then the winner of that is going to get the ag curve which is the about golf curve and it's it's this is a rad thing so it's like the curve means that it's kind of immersive right it curves like a curve tv um type feeling so it's more of like it's the most immersive experience you can get when you're not on a golf course right and so stuff like that where that'll be for the winner um so it's a really cool thing that anybody can join and if nothing else you just get a chance to go and play golf in a, in a cool simulator and have some have some fun with your friends well, man, I have so much respect for uh, what you've done and what you continue to do. You've allowed yourself an opportunity to gain uh, a different perspective on life. And right now, there are golfers listening who are pursuing a dream. And they might have people around them who are telling them that their dream is silly. What would you say to these golfers? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not. I mean, you might, it's not silly. You might have to sacrifice some of the things that you think you need in, in fact you don't um if you if you do it but if you want anything bad enough like th this didn't exist there was no path for me to becoming a golf course photographer um and i just kind of like forced it a little bit like i'm in the golf industry and i don't work for a golf company i work for myself and that's a really cool thing to to do and to to chase after um and I mean, yeah, you've got to have a plan and you've got to go for it. 
Um, so I would say ignore people that, um, I mean, pay attention to their, their helpful, constructive criticism, but somebody that's just telling you can't do it, um, giving you a number of reasons why you can't, well, maybe take those and be like, oh, this, maybe this will be, a, maybe they're right in the fact that I can address this and figure out how to do it. And that's what I did. Like when I started removing the roadblocks from, obviously the social media presence was, is huge and almost everything for me um, to kind of getting over that hurdle and having an audience and building people that actually care about what I'm doing is a big leverage tool for me. Uh, and that allowed me to remove a lot of those things, um, you know, partnering with different different companies and things like that. And so take those, those naysayers and, you know, take the, the, the legitimate reasons why not and, and see how could I remove this roadblock to allow me to accomplish my goal. And I mean, like anything in life, if you just stay after it, it's usually, you know, eventually something's going to happen. You just do it long enough and you're passionate enough about it, then it will. And most people give up before they break through um, in anything in life. I mean, that's, something that's a universal truth and applies with, uh, with trying to create your own career or, or find a career in the golf space. And so, I mean, yeah, I mean, you only get to live once, right? So like, what's, if you think about it, like I compare the two, like I, I was making good money in my sales job. I got up every day and like, you know, I enjoyed closing deals and I enjoyed helping companies save money or I was in telecom. So I was providing them a cool solution that made their lives easier on it. That was like, that was it. But it was like, it wasn't really like, is it exciting or satisfying as it is to have somebody, you know, I'm, there's, I'm just getting ready to send an email to a gal that reached out to me and she's buying a birthday present for her, her boyfriend. It's a couple pictures of, uh, of actually abandoned dunes. Um, not during that epic lighting, but there was another good day there of, of, that she's going to, that's going to hang in that guy's, in his wall. And he's going to look at that and he's going to get joy from that on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so stuff like that is really satisfying when you see people get excited about it. Um, to me, that's a whole different level. And so why not spend your days doing something that like matters to you and to other people um, more so than, you know, cashing a nice commission check. As long as you can figure out how to live I guarantee it. Like if you can figure out to do what you love to do every day and then just like live, like eat so you don't starve, you're going to be happier than like having a bunch of money and like doing something you don't like to do every day. Right. You could live in a big fancy house. Every day sucks. Um, you got a big fancy house and you might think you're happy, but like try doing something you love every single day for every waking hour and then you're not going to care where you live. Um, and chances are, if you're doing that, you're probably not going to live someplace crappy because people recognize that passion right that's what people are that's where they're attracted to everybody that's extremely successful it's all because not because the, you know the the money or this or that because it's it's of the passion and that just turned into money you know the two are correlated anything, so that's what I learned. anything you want to add brian i just i love the what's going on in the golf industry and you're very much speaking to what we're seeing with the much more independent spirit and seeing the passion of the game being shown. It's not all about the scoring. Um, it's not all about um, being inundated on a driving range all the time. Now it's literally like living golf. Almost. I, I put golf life as a hashtag and I know I'm not the only one who does that. And it's true. Cause then right. you could just, you could feel the passion, whatever you're talking about that. I love it. Cause I could talk to you all day about <laughs> a lot of the stuff that you've been to because of that. But that's really cool. And then the stories that 
the adversity you had even by you know quitting everything and dropping everything and doing this but then in between that year dealing with your parents house and everything and dealing with that adversity in the middle i mean it just adds to the story itself and it's just really cool yeah there's a lot there's a lot on that tour that we didn't get it into it um but you're right when you talk about the the golf life thing and the emergence of it because you look at golf and like you know people that don't play golf there's like they're like it's sexist it's elitist it's it's boring it's all these things and you know and i'm like <laughs> it's not i mean i like it's not at all that it's very exciting um it, it can be for for everyone um and it should it shouldn't have to you know I, I, I like some of the traditions of the game. That's part of what makes it cool and exciting and special. And so we've got to figure out a way to take those with us while leaving some of the things that uh, our golf shouldn't be proud of, uh, leaving those, those behind. And there's a lot of people that, are, that agree with that statement and they're doing things about it. You know, they're opening um, up cool clubs um, and, and coming in with, with different different ways to play the game. Uh, I love going up to, to Goat Hill Park every week for the Skins game. Uh, my buddy, Matty G, uh, most people know Matt, Matt Janela. He's, he just uh, he moved out here recently. And so we've been uh, playing the Skins game on, on the regular. And the, the folks that you meet with um, out there, they just love golf. And they're just loving to play. And they get it, you know, it's not, there's not, a, there's no attitude. Everybody's like golfing in like t-shirts. There's dogs running around. There's a fire pit when people are playing for skins. And it's like, you know, you play horrible or you play good. It's still all fun. The course kind of embodies that where it's like, it, there's no <laughs> perfectly manicured fairways. Um, you know, they're, they're somewhat, you know, they're mode and they're playable, but you get these great sort of challenging bounces and ridiculous lies. And it's, it's very atypical and the whole MO is you just got to kind of accept it. Like you're, you're, you know, whatever bad break you're going to get, you're not entitled to anything out there. Like you're, you're going to get some, you get a good shot and it's going to be 200 yards away from the pin. Um, and you're not immune to it. Like when they have the wishbone brawl out there, uh, I remember we were just talking about this the other day and it was Jeff Ogilvy and um, Xander, uh, Shockley and Dean Wilson there. They all played in a, uh, a match and Xander hit this one shot I think it was on 14 or the par three and he hit it off the left side of the green just missed it barely and that ball rolled like 150 yards down this hill into like you know, so he had like a I don't know what's he hit like he had like a nine iron from down the down the hill for his second shot um, and that's and that's one of the best golfers in the world and so I, I mean they got a kick out of it those guys love doing that sort of thing the the spirit of golf lives at, at places like like Goat Hill and it and it spreads you know, it's contagious. That sort of spirit is what will attract new players to the game. It's what will, you know, a kid will learn what it's about. They'll learn about integrity, you know, honesty and, uh, and camaraderie at a place like that. Uh, and they'll share it with their friends wherever they come from. They're more likely so than, than a, you know, a country club where only certain people of a, of a particular income tax bracket um, are going there. Um, so that's those places are like you got to support the coat um, and, and stuff like that. And then not to say that that sort of spirit can't exist at a high end country club, and it certainly does. Um, but not everybody can get access to that. So the, um, the fact that there are places like that that exist tells me that golf's going to be okay. And well, you know, with the pandemic here, it's like everybody 
and their dad is playing golf. They're all kind of realizing this and you can barely get a tee time. So golf's never been better. Will it stay better? I, I think so because of the small changes that, you know, you know, podcasts like this, golf brands that have, have, have popped up in that vein and golf courses that have thrived um, with that sort of thing. I think, I think it'll be great. So that's, that's my thought on the, the future and that, that golf life. Well, man, I could talk to you for hours, man. Your, your enthusiasm and your passion, it's infectious. I appreciate you coming on so much and sharing your experience and wisdom with us. Where can people find and purchase your art? Um, you can, you send me a message, go to my website. It's, it's PJ Koenig um, on Instagram, pjkoenig.com on, on the web and everything there. Um, I can't sell you everything because of certain things, but send me a message um, and I'll make sure that you get a, a good, good price on it's all custom pieces. So if you send me a message there, I can get you some, whatever you need for your, your golf cave. Um, and there's a lot of good, cool stories on there. I mean, I'd be surprised if anybody has read half of them. Um, cause I put them all up on the, the whole story of the RGV tour is kind of there in pieces. Um, as much as I could write while fren frenetically going through that tours on that blog there. And then you can read the stories look at more golf pictures than you can ever imagine um, on pjkanig.com. Thank you, Patrick. Hey, well, thanks for having me on, guys. This was great. We'll talk real soon. You got it. Cool.